Happy Thursday and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Rocketeer Minute where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of the greatest adventure movie Walt Disney's ever made, the 1991 Joe Johnston-directed feature, The Rocketeer. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm Hal Bryan, an airplane nerd from the Experimental Aircraft Association here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. So Jim, what a week. It's 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 been amazing. I mean, you know what a what a patriotic way to celebrate the the birthday of America by having all these great stars. <laughs> no kidding. We started with Billy, then Melora, then, uh, then Ron Fields, and uh, and today it's just it's just you and me. Just just it's us. Like yes. we're, we're we're batching it today. We're the, we're the all stars here. <laughs> yes, right. Circus of the all stars. Yes. Oh goodness. It's going good. We're still in the uh, we're at the South Seas Club again, and uh, and we're we're in uh, we're in Eddie Valentine's office waiting for Stevie to make him a bromo. Right, but, and <clears> you know that came. To, oh, go ahead. Want to, you might want to explain uh, what a bromo is and why why you shouldn't be drinking them. <laughs> oh, exactly. That's that's kind of an interesting thing. The uh, and and uh, with so much great content in our extended episode yesterday, it just didn't seem right to say, you know, excuse me, sir, stop talking about your famous grandfather while we discuss, <laughs> you know, vintage medicine. Um, so when he says, make me a bromo, he's talking about uh, about something called bromo seltzer, which is, if you're thinking Alka-Seltzer, you're not too far off the mark. It's uh, the official recipe when, when they finally figured it out is uh, uh, acetaminophen, sodium bicarbonate, and citric acid. And it was marketed as... Uh, as a headache remedy, an antacid. There's some great vintage ads. I'm looking at one right now from the Saturday Evening Post. Uh, it's got a tennis player named Don Budge, and he says, uh, you know, championship tennis calls for a clear head and nerves like steel. So he likes his bromo seltzer because it relieves his headache and also steadies his nerves. Uh, and there's another guy on there talking about uh, who's a, a famous parachute jumper, apparently, at the time, although I can't quite read his name. Typical, you know, wonderfully vintage marketing where, you know, just, just buy this bottle like all these other people did and you'll be just like them. It started in uh, 1888, and there was a couple of things with the original formula. Uh, the original formula used uh, sodium bromide, and that's where the Bromo brand name came from, which is a tranquilizer. And uh, I, th- I think it, it took a while, but like by the 70s, that was uh, that was basically banned from the market because it was too strong. You know, you wonder why it steadies your nerves while you're you're drinking a tranquilizer. And then uh, it used a, another compound called uh, acetonilide. And I apologize if I'm not pronouncing that correctly. That was the uh, the forerunner to the acetaminophen. So it used the acetonilide for pain relief. But you can also uh, use that uh, to make varnish. You can use it to make rubber. For a while, people were using it to develop photographs uh, in the late 1800s. And you can also use it to get uh, cyanosis, liver, kidney damage, and and cancer. So that was... uh, It's a one-size-fits-all, yeah. Exactly. It's a floor wax. It's a dessert (laughs) topping, almost literally. I, I've got a I've got a question. Does does Bromo Seltzer have anything to do with Baltimore? Because I remember driving on ninety five. There used to be this big big clock, and it said yeah. like the clock said Bromo Seltzer on it. But it was like if you think of a, a looking at a clock, it would say Bromo on the top and Seltzer at the bottom numbers. So yeah, actually it it did it when it started in eighteen eighty eight. It was in Baltimore, and uh, and that uh, landmark that the Bromo Seltzer Tower. Uh, still stands, or at least did as a yeah. few years ago. And it was uh, as I was looking at my notes. It was patterned after the uh, Palazzo Vecchio in Florence. So <laughs> I'm sure when when one thinks of Florence, one thinks of sort of crude advertising for, you know, for 
something that's not quite snake oil, but dangerous tummy, headache yeah, remedies. Tummy aches, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, that, that, that's the two, the two things about Baltimore I remember as a kid, the Bromo Seltzer clock and the giant sign that said Domino Sugar that would light up the night sky. What I would have uh, loved to have seen, and it's, it's funny too, when you mentioned the Domino Sugar thing, I, came, I just came across that the other day, reading about something totally different. But uh, what I would have loved to have seen was that there was a 50-foot Bromo Seltzer bottle on the top that was that glowed blue. The Bromo Seltzer bottles were originally blue and rotated, and it was thing weighed twenty tons. Had you know three hundred plus bulbs. Had a crown on the top. Oh, I don't think it. Yeah, they didn't have it when I was. Did, did they get rid of it? Or? So yeah, they they pulled it down in nineteen thirty six, oh. uh, citing structural concerns. Yeah. So not not a lot of great luck for the Bromo Seltzer brand. By the time Alka Seltzer came around in nineteen thirty one, you know that's obviously when we hear. Seltzer, uh, at least in terms of a medicine, that's that's what we all tend to think of as Alka Seltzer. Um, or if you're if you're a Seinfeld fan, you think of seltzer and salsa as almost being the same thing. But I was surprised to see that there is still somebody selling something. You can go to Amazon and search for Bromo Seltzer, and there's a very generic looking thing you can get. You can buy twenty effervescent tablets. It's Bromo Seltzer still sort of shows up as a registered trademark, but it looks very very simple like somebody sat down in microsoft paint and made a simple uh simple logo uh and now sorry jim i've just lost the modern day bromo seltzer as a sponsor um <laughs> making fun of their logo go. but it looks We're gonna take take them down off the amazon yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly but anyway so there's something still out there and presumably it's the uh um well in fact actually i can they list the ingredients right on the front so it's aspirin as the pain reliever not acetaminophen citric acid and the sodium sodium uh, bicarbonate somebody's still using the name. I imagine they must have just sort of bought the name at an auction or something like that. It doesn't appear to have any strong connection to the original brand, but I could be wrong. Well, the the acetaminophen wasn't added until the newer formula, right? Is it right? Yeah, the yeah. acetaminophen yeah. Replaced, uh, replaced, excuse me, the acetanilide. And right. yeah. if I'm uh, if I'm reading correctly, and I don't, uh, I'm I'm no chemist, Jim. I hate to admit that, but uh, acetanilide, I believe can also be used in the process of creating acetaminophen or there is a there is a connection there oh it, it they take the they take the the poison parts out of it i guess right yeah it's uh, acetaminophen now with less poison yeah because yeah, I, th- I think acetaminophen acetaminophen was like around the it's like the late 50s i remember i remember when they introduced um at, or not maybe it was Advil, but they were showing like different different medications. Right. Like aspirin came out in the eighteen eighties, and then acetaminophen came out in nineteen fifty nine or fifty eight, somewhere around there, and then uh, then Advil came out. Just just remembering that from an old commercial. That's all I know about <laughs> pharmaceutical uh, history is what I learned from commercials. Uh, by, by the way, for folks listening in uh, in Europe and the UK, what we call acetaminophen, you know, is paracetamol. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's the sufficiently important. So, and, which is why there's never any headaches in the there, there's, there's never any headache medicines in the jungle because of the paracetamol. The yeah. paracetamol. Oh man, yeah. that was terrible. I, 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 <laughs> I dig for my comedy where I can get. So. You've suffered for your heart. Now it's our turn. Um, <laughs> So, and paracetamol is a uh, is a metabolite of acetanilide. So that's why, that's whatever exactly that process means. That's the connection as as you get to the acetaminophen or paracetamol. So it's it sounds good and it works on jet lag. I know that. So, <laughs> exactly. Uh... The the modern formula. Stay away from that. Stay yes. away from the yes, tranquilizers they, yeah. and the varnish. Yeah, Stevie, don't get me a yes. Bromo. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and and as far as I know, and I we maybe we'll be contradicting ourselves. I don't recall seeing Stevie ever come back with the Bromo. 
Yeah, I well, think, he just wanted to get out of the way. Yeah. Well, I think uh, he, he, he can feel a fight brewing between exactly. the, uh, the number three box office star in America <laughs> and uh, and the guy that runs the right. South Seas Club. I'm wondering if uh, if Stevie just went and dumped the tablets in the tank with a mermaid. Ooh, yeah, physicist, you know. <laughs> She's headache free. Yeah, she is. Um, and tranquil. In later minutes, we're going to have a bit of mayhem. But I just, I, the thing that I'm making a bookmark here for later is that I want to watch what happens to the mermaids. Because I would, I would imagine somebody spraying a place with bullets. You don't want to be in a tank full of water. Yeah, no kidding. And we never really, we never really see her. We, uh, you know, I don't recall yeah, ever I, seeing her sort of get out or, you know, fleeing in the crowd scenes. But yeah, as you said, we'll have to watch for that really carefully. Because I've always been curious about that. Yeah. It's. And we talked about this a bit and, yesterday. It's it's an an amazingly extensive bit of set dressing. I mean, that's no small thing on a set to to you know create this tank and and bring in all the water and have somebody in there swimming just for you know you could have just hung a painting on the wall there and and done all the same thing. But it's wonderful. I had a uh, Jim. Now it's Jim's story time. I had a long time ago when I was living in Austin, Texas, going to going to college. Uh, the fellow downstairs from me was a. Uh, an amateur aquariumist, and he he built an aquarium. Fortunately, lives on the ground floor. Oh, he built an aquarium, and I may have this wrong, but he got he bought three quarter inch thick plexiglass walls for his, for this thing, and it was about the size of that tank that we see in Eddie's really? office. All I can remember is that he had done the math, and it, the the amount of water that was in there was fifty five hundred pounds. That's two and a half tons of water in his in his living room, and as far as I know, it was held together by a, a couple of uh, bands that he had put around the outside. He built he built these metal this metal frame, and then he uh, he caulked it up, and it somehow it held in. And he had built uh, it built like a wooden frame to contain the thing really? and keep it tightened up. And he had like turnbuckles and stuff to make sure it wouldn't get loose. Um, and as far as you know, it never it never burst or. Collapsed no, or anything? it was it, it was a stunning thing. He had these gigantic uh, fluorescent, uh, basically look like shop lights hanging over the over the top wow. of it, and these uh, enormous. It was a marine tank too. That was that was the other amazing part of it. it had salt oh. it was salt water, so he had to balance all that out. He had coral. Ah, I just don't know what what it was like. You know, <laughs> he'd never get evicted because I don't know what the landlord would be yeah, about exactly. to, <laughs> to figure some way of getting it out. But quite a quite an effect. I don't know what happened to the fellow and. But uh, Chuck Wilcox, if you're still out there, just <laughs> contact me because I'd be interested to find out what what you were doing. Yeah, with and, that. and what he's up to. Uh, what he's up to now? Yeah. He, Hopefully, yeah, he didn't uh, a, didn't drown in his living un, room. Yeah, meet an untimely yes. end. <laughs> he could wind up as a special entry in the uh, you know Autopsy right, Weekly. Exactly. <laughs> How did this happen? <laughs> or eaten by a shark uh, <laughs> on his couch. <laughs> well, that it's sort of related to the rocketeer because there is right. a tank here, but uh, but we're we're still listening to. Paul Servino trying to keep his sunny side up and saying that, oh, it, you know, it's a good thing that you brought Jenny in because uh, my boys will be able to take her apart and get the information about where uh, where Secord is. Neville has other plans for uh, for Jenny. Right, clearly. <laughs> and, you know, we're going to do what I think is necessary. And it's just yeah. this, uh, this, this little power struggle here is... I, it just it never gets old watching these two chew chew it up together. Yeah, that, we're gonna get this in a f- future minute. I don't mean to um, spoil anything, but how does he does he actually have a, a does he always carry with him a vial of chloroform? <laughs> no, I, I'm sure he does. It's you know it's probably next to his cigarette case and and it's an oversized handkerchief. Yes, right, exactly. If he were, uh, you know, if he were an actor today, it would be roofies. But, uh, but you know, in the in the golden age, uh, 
Yeah, he probably carried around like a little blue bromocelsor-sized bottle of <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, chloroform. That's probably uh, exactly what it is. It's, uh, yeah, I was just trying to figure out where, where did he pick it up and how, you know. Yeah, yeah I guess it, it's like he must have the equivalent of a utility belt. That's all I can think of. But <laughs> right. I, keep, a villain's utility belt. Yeah. <laughs> it's always, always the right thing when you're going out on a date. <laughs> Eddie's very upset about what happened to Wilmer. I don't right. know if he does. He blame he doesn't blame him for Lenny's death, though. I don't think he, I don't think that's that's just all part of the game. He the fact that they were getting chased by the feds. Right. Yeah. That's uh, you know that's occupational hazard. But uh, but yeah, getting, folding Wilmer in half, which is you know we've seen now is that's Lothar's thing. That's what he does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's his signature. It's his calling card. He's he's good at. It. I don't know how you chemical. You know how, how do you develop that? But I guess. He's he's worked on it. That's what he's known for. And of course, on uh, Eddie's desk, if you you look carefully off to the right, you see. I'm guessing there's a, a cigar box, a humidor of some kind, and then and then uh, the racing form, the obligatory. Yes. Uh, you know, just like any any good mobster uh, keeps uh, keeps an eye on the ponies. It doesn't look very convincing, though, and it's just not a. Of all the props, it just doesn't. It seems rather perfunctory. Right. Yeah. If you look at uh, look at images and. And to be to be totally fair, I, I see the word racing and then a little logo of some kind, and I, I don't see the word form, but knowing what it's supposed to be, and then it's got that, that sort of frilly border around it. When you look at uh, vintage copies of the of the Daily Racing form, that border was more ornate, the font was a little bit fancier, you know, lots of things, uh, lots of things like this. This one, as you said, it looks a little bit, uh, a little bit perfunctory, but again, I guarantee you that nobody in that prop shop was sitting there thinking that you know 27 years from now 26 years from now you know a couple of nerds on something called the internet are going to be sitting here staring at this after watching it on something called blu-ray and and going uh, second by second but it is it does stand out a little bit compared to all the detail we saw in the the other newspapers and you know every little other detail that you find and you stop on this was just a you know something quick and dirty I was wondering about over there behind the way oversized chair rail along uh, along Eddie's back wall there. There's a plant. I was trying to figure out it, that I was originally thinking that it's Sansevieria, but I think it's just some other kind of house plant, maybe some kind of a modified ficus or something. But uh, I don't really know my plants. It's kind of interesting with those sort of spiky leaves and then the, the red tips you can see on the left there. Yeah, I was thinking maybe a marginalia or uh, uh, my my. Typical guess on, on something of that time period would have been a Sansevieria, or what people know as a snake plant, or also known as mother-in-law's tongues. Oh, okay. Uh, That's, they they do well in low light one. situations. It's, so they, it, they do well in, in noir settings, in other yes, words. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they're, if they're lit by the uh, UV lamps that are hanging over right. uh, mermaids, and they cast very sharp shadows, which is yes. also important. Yeah, and so we're we're getting into uh, the way that Neville is ex- is describing Eddie. He says a cheap crook. I know he's trying to get under Eddie's skin, but I don't think Eddie is exactly a cheap crook. He's got. He obviously owns the South Seas Club. Right. He explains later that it's something that he has to fix. So And and we uh you know, we've established it as as just about the fanciest place in town. Yeah. You know. Yeah, why not the South Seas way around? Exactly. You know, better than the the Copa or the Brown Derby. And Eddie certainly you know, certainly dresses well. It's even with his even with his jacket off. We talked earlier, you know, when he when he's got his jacket on, he's just perfectly buttoned down and 
everything in its place, and now he's a little bit more casual with the jacket off. But the, yeah, but he's, he's still got the he's still got the uh, the studs and the right. French cuffs and that yep. beautiful paisley vest that just it's iridescent. Yeah, and that that, that double breasted vest, which is just absolutely yeah. uh, absolutely classic. And he's he. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I don't think. Yes, he did have with him when he was back at uh, Neville's place. He had in his hand his uh, Hamburg, which is oh, right. uh, rather an unusual. Uh, it's not an unusual, but it's, the Hamburg kind of replaced the top hat in uh, society as the formal hat. But the idea that he goes out at night in a Hamburg, he wears a tuxedo right. and he wears a Hamburg. That is uh, just a sign that he is a classy guy. And he's got a pinky ring on each hand. Yep. So. And uh, a bracelet of some kind on his right wrist. I and can't I can't tell I if he's wearing a wristwatch, but for 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 um, those who watch um, uh, Goodfellas, he also wears a pinky ring in Goodfellas, and I don't know if it's just of the type. That could be his own ring. Uh, I would like to find be. out if that he might be wearing his own jewelry. It's, it's rather flashy. It's a that that blue. I think it's a sapphire that he that he has on that ring. It's just all in all, he's just uh, he's he's well put together, yeah. and this you know. And he's got a lot of competition in the room with his as Natalie dressed as uh, as uh, Neville Sinclair is, of course. With that, hey, what color is his jacket? I'm going Neville with Sinclair's. I'm going with purple, like maybe a dark lavender. Yeah, it's just in some lighting, it just looks very gray. But then you get these flashes of color on it. And one one of the things this is uh, our, one of our our previous guests, our our mutual good friend Brian Fees, had uh, explained to me that uh, with villains. That you tend to put heroes in comic books. The heroes wear primary colors. They're wearing blue. They're wearing red. They're oh, wearing sure. yellow. I mean, one that breaks with that is Batman, but he does have a right. yellow, you know, the yellow background background to his bat. Right, and what he jokes in some, or what he refers to in some uh, iterations as a big target on his chest, and he's right. sort of dismissive it's, about it, but. Exactly, but uh, the villains wear the secondary colors. They uh, they typically wear the purples and the oranges and, and things sure. like that. So so they're more that, that the secondary colors are the colors of evil. So I don't know if Dave Stevens is using that same vocabulary and it suggested maybe he should wear purple. Although our hero wears brown, so that's another secondary. Right, brown and, and brass and silver. Yeah, but uh, purple is generally the color of evil in comic books. So this is this may be a feature of where. Where he fits in on, on right. this, uh, the, the spectrum of good and evil. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, as these two are, are playing back and forth, Eddie is threatening Neville. Basically, if I go down, you're going down with me. I'm going to tell them, uh, you know, I'll tell them everything. And then, you know, Neville has that, that wonderful line about being the number three box office star in America, which is, you know, it's, it's no small achievement, but it's, it, it's so specific too that it's uh, it it says a lot about his personality that he would he wouldn't say you know like a famous movie star or one of the most popular actors in the country or something like that he would specifically announce his position like he's he's proud of it but he's also a little bitter about you know why isn't he number number one versus number three well you know the, the funny thing at the time the top box office star in America was Shirley Temple. Ah, interesting. She brought, she brought in the most the most money at the time. So, any idea where uh, Errol Flynn would be at this point uh, in the top in thirty eight? If we're assuming that he's Errol Flynn at two million dollars, I think that came in as the high, uh, the Adventures of Robin Hood came in as the highest one. Uh, let me just see here. I'm uh, the Adventures of Robin Hood, according to 
filmsite.org, The Adventures of Robin Hood was the most expensive Warner Brothers film to date that they had made at $2 million, but it turned out to be the studio's biggest moneymaker. It was the second of eight films to pair Errol Flynn and Olivia de Havilland. Uh, so it, that was the biggest moneymaker, followed by uh, Alexander's Ragtime Band by Irving, Irving Berlin. So, yeah, so Flynn and, uh, certainly would have been uh, would have been up there. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's I mean, he's catching, no Shirley Temple. No, but. he's catching up to Shirley Temple. Well, yeah. Shirley Temple had been the number one box office hit since uh, 1936. So, uh, so he he's he's dealing with a legacy there. Oh, sure. Yeah, there was uh, there was just an absolutely astounding career. Yeah, and uh, I don't I don't know how. He's, I mean, maybe he can learn to tap dance or something like that. Uh, yeah, maybe. And then uh, you know, as as uh, Neville Sinclair leaves you know we see this uh this is a, an outburst of emotion from eddie which uh we're trying to think if we've seen much else other than slapping the infamous popcorn box you know this is just one more little burst of anger he throws the cigar across the room and then and then one of my favorite lines which uh, we know from uh from billy was was improv on sorvino's part you know, I'm the number three box office star in America, and it just comes back to so, you know, number three, number three joke. <laughs> it's right. just, I, it, it's just absolutely priceless. And to to put on my Rocketeer bucket list, Jim, I I would love to have Paul Servino on the show and see if he would refer to you and me as the number four and number five jerks. Yeah. Um, I don't really want to be number one and number two uh, jerks because. You know, yeah, you, you got to leave room. There's room for growth, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I want some potential uh, down the road. It just it just hit me that the number two box office star in America we had just passed because he was saying hello uh, to Neville earlier. That was Clark oh. Gable. Oh, so, there you go. So I guess Shirley couldn't come to the South Seas, but <laughs> that's true. Clark, she didn't have Clark to wait a few there. years before she could get in. But uh, yeah, yeah, and that was uh, you know that, that one-two punch of uh, just a. a glimpse of Clark Gable, which you, you wonder, you know, 25 years ago, um, certainly I think more people would have recognized him than even would now, but still, uh, you know, I wonder how many, how many people at the, even at the time, especially younger kids would catch that, understand that little cameo there by the uh, Clark Gable impersonator. So uh, a bit of its time, you do kind of need to have a background in this movie. And I don't know if the, I think the background is dwindling with, as the years pass. Right. So we cut from the well-lit interior of Eddie Valentine's office to the dimly lit dog that's out there on the yes. uh, uh, near near Sepulveda, and uh, we see Malcolm hurrying into the uh, to the Bulldog Cafe. He whips open the door. While meanwhile, up in the dog's eyeballs, <laughs> a, gl- a glimmering light shows uh, from, from coming from the radio, which that really sounds like that should have been a slang expression at the time. You know, you got the bee's knees, the cat's pajamas, and the dog's eyeballs. <laughs> the dog's sounds... eyeballs. Yeah, I love those eyeballs. So they're very <laughs> clever woodwork. <laughs> that really is, and it's so. Uh, so detailed and so yeah. I don't know, so ornate even for just the just for the backside like of it for an attic. Looks like a great big old cookie jar. So, <laughs> Peavy and Peavy and Cliff are sitting up there. Cliff is carefully chewing his nails. We're going to talk to Billy tomorrow, so we got to find out about how many times he had to chew his fingernails. But we'll we'll, we'll check on that tomorrow. And and whether or not he feels like he did a convincing job. Yeah, we have that nice '30s announcer when you can almost hear. Picture the guy cupping his hand to his ear as he's saying, Helmuted mystery men disappeared into the Baldwin Hills moments after the rearing roast. All, all of uh, Los Angeles is buzzing. Yes, who, who is, is the, the And then, yeah, then, of course, <laughs> yeah. for us, the minute ends. So. <laughs> tune, in, tune in next time, yeah. And he's quoting uh, uh, Otis Bigelow, promising that his bird man will return. <laughs> Bigelow just has no, he's got no say in this. He's, well, he's, he's been also, over backwards to make yeah, sure he comes he's, back. Yeah. He's, he's also been folded in half uh, by this point. 
a great little bit of uh, posthumous character development for Bigelow and that that uh, he's absolutely all over it. He's going to capitalize on this. He he doesn't know any more than anybody else, but he's named him. He's he's taking ownership of it, and uh, I wish he would have lived. Would love to have seen, uh, seen yeah, what the 1939 Bigelow Air Circus looked like. The further adventures. Well, maybe it's going to be Patsy's, but we'll, we'll find we'll find out. By the way, when he mentions Baldwin Hills, this is another thing where we're going we're going all over the place on uh, the the geography of of the Rocketeer. He he disappeared into the Baldwin Hills, which would put him somewhere down near Santa Monica Municipal Airport. That that's okay. I mean Culver City, out the, you know east of Culver City, and he disappeared out that way. But previously we talked about how it was LAX that that he's under, which is further to the north and to the west. So I don't, unless people were following him from the street and they were getting further information about where he was flying to, he wouldn't be. Uh, I, I would think he would have flown to the northwest. I, I, I still am of the idea that this is up toward Burbank, but now that we have an address for, for where... Where did he fly right, after he left? I mean, he landed in a swamp, which uh, w- seemed to be n- near Malibu. So, right, up uh, up by the set of MASH. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah. So I, I just don't understand where... I mean, it, it's kind of just the... It's like when you play those... Uh, uh, Grand Theft Auto things and everything's kind of merged together. So right, <laughs> it yeah, looks like a town, but it's not quite a town. Just uh, for anybody who was uh, who was curious, like me, is a couple of things on those uh, shelves that uh, that we can identify as mm. uh, as the sort of the camera pans down um, way on the left, oh, about second fifty four or so. You've got Marvel, and I can't quite see what's at the bottom of those cans. It's, I've, Marvel peaches or could be almost anything but then uh, over on the right the shelves you've got the the McCormick uh, tin of cloves as far as I know McCormick is still around as a spice brand I I know we we had McCormick spices on the shelves as kids I don't know why I remember that I I didn't do a lot of spice shopping as a child but I always remember that uh, that logo and that name and then the one that was had me really curious was the the dress parade box Ah, okay it's a kind of oblique with the corner sticking out finally was able to find that that's uh um, that's Shinola. Oh. So it's uh, it's Shinola shoe polish. It's liquid shoe polish. It's brushless, um, you know, instant shine. And then it says something else on the right. So there's a, there's a little girl and then sort of a, almost a, a boy in a soldier's dress hat on the right. And I'm not sure. I haven't seen a great image to say what it uh, says on, under him, actually. But that's, uh, that's Shinola, so, which some people know from the other thing and some people don't. It's funny how clove used to be a major flavor back, you know, even as recently as the 30s and 40s, that it was, I mean, nowadays when you typically get gum, it'll be either a banana flavor like in um, Bazooka Bubblegum, which you don't know, it just says banana because it's pink, but Uh. that's the predominant flavor in bubblegum. Uh, and before you know, and before that, it was like Wrigley's and uh, Double Mint, which were either spearmint or peppermint flavors. But were right. popular. But at the time, back in the 30s, and you know, back reaching back into the 1880s and, and before, clove was also a typical flavoring in gum, chewing gum, and candies. Sure. Well, right alongside Beeman's, you know, the same manufacturer had uh, it was, blackjack was the clove flavored gum. Beeman's yeah. is wintergreen. Blackjack is is clove. I remember. And there's a third one. I can never remember. They, they kind of the three of them sort of go together. Yeah, but yeah, always available at a uh, Cracker Barrel near you whenever they're yeah, making them. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, it, it just it's kind of odd that you think of cloves as being uh, it, it, cloves as being something you stick on top of um, ham or or if you've ever seen Marathon Man, you want oil of cloves to put the uh, <laughs> put the pain down in your <laughs> right. teeth. 
I, I never want to do a marathon man minute. That would no. be a bit, a bit much. Yes, no, no thanks. Uh, but uh, but yeah, clo- clove used to be one of those major one of those major spices that they used to fight. You know, the, the Dutch East India Company made its uh, fortune with nutmeg and clove. So uh, they they would pull it in from it came from the Moluccan Straits. Uh, unfortunately, though, the clove was the clove trees that they grew on the plants that that they were from grew everywhere. They were like weeds, so it's kind of hard for the Dutch East India Company to control the output. So anybody with a boat could <laughs> sail through, grab some cloves, and then ship it back <laughs> back home. So not an easy work. market to corner. No, no. So uh, I guess we've gone around the world on this particular episode as uh, uh, PV chews his thumb and uh, and Cliff cleans his fingernails on his teeth. But we'll we'll t- we'll talk more about this minute uh, th- this this little scene here tomorrow. We have uh, our own rocketeer, Billy Campbell, will be here tomorrow to to chat all about what it's like acting in an attic. Anyway, this has been a fu- been a fun minute, and there's more more to come. This is obviously setting up uh, a lot of things, and we'll have to also find out about Malcolm's news. Obviously, he's in a hurry to tell something, so we'll have to find out what uh, what thing he has to tell. <laughs> join us here uh, tomorrow. We will talk about it some more. If you'd like to talk about this, if you can't wait till tomorrow, uh, join us at all the usual social media places at. Twitter, you can find us Rocketeer Minute. You can find us on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash Rocketeer Minute. Go to the big site, rocketeerminute.com, and you can leave messages at the bottom of the page and pick up on previous messages that you missed. As always, we really suggest that you go and subscribe on either iTunes or Google Play. Uh, just type in Rocketeer Minute, uh, click subscribe when you see us come up on your search bu- on your search bar. And uh, what else is happening? Please don't forget to watch, uh, if you're in the U.S. or if you're in the U.K., you can watch uh, Billy Campbell's new series, Cardinal, which is available on Hulu in the United States and on Channel 4 in the U.K. And or you know, if you're in another country, check local listings because it seems to be everywhere. Uh, Billy told us the other day that uh, it's on in over 100 markets. So lots of, lots of places to watch That's his, amazing. his great, great series. Great to, to hear him just continuing to have, uh, have success in such a, a diversity of roles. Yeah. Um, Jim, before we, uh, before we completely pull the plug, I just glanced at my notes, and I've got to correct something before, uh, before I have to apologize on social media. <laughs> okay. So of the three vintage gums, uh, there was actually, uh, that we think of, Beeman's Blackjack. The other one was actually just called Clove, and it was obviously the clove flavor. I've still not 100% certain what flavor Blackjack was, but uh, Clove was a separate gum. Now, Maybe licorice. I'm just wondering. That, yeah, that would make sense. It would probably be a black licorice, uh, black licorice flavor. Well, but it, it's something we'll have to chew over, I guess. <laughs> oh boy, that's two today. Yes, <laughs> you set them up, I'll knock them down. Yes, that's. Uh, anyway, well, you were well, saying, well, sir. I was, I was, I was, I was going to say goodbye, but actually, we will say, we will say, join us here tomorrow when we uh, we have another special Billy Campbell episode. So get get your timpanies out and get ready for that. But join us here tomorrow as we end the week on the Rocketeer Minute. So until next time, over and out. Go get him, kid.